webinar, How to Craft an Irresistible Partner Value Proposition, is one of a regular series of webinars from Globalocity to help companies improve and sustain their sales from distributors, sales agents, and other indirect channels. Globalocity is one of the premier sales channel consultancies in the country. Through their global team of consultants, they are a one-stop shop for your complete B2B worldwide indirect sales channel and distribution needs. Now let me take a moment to briefly introduce to you today's presenters. I have Mike Hunter and Doris Nagel with me. Mike Hunter is Globalocity's chief strategist. He's an internationally recognized business development expert with nearly 40 years of experience, helping more than 300 corporations over that period to develop and deploy the architecture and processes for sales, marketing, channels to market, product management, and corporate alliance programs. Mike has taught product management and channel management skills to more than 60,000 students. Doris Nagel is CEO of Globalocity. She focuses on international expansion, channel management strategy and implementation, business processes, risk management, and compliance. She has more than 25 years of experience and is a frequent speaker, blogger, and podcast host, a former DePaul Law School adjunct professor, and a regular columnist for Global Trade Magazine. Doris, as we're going to start off with you, the floor is now yours. Thanks so much, Laura. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be. Um, we have people on this webinar from all over the world, so welcome to you. First, I want to just uh, send, say a message or two about, a word or two about thanking all of our participants for sticking with us. We ended up having to, as some of you know, canceling and postponing the webinar at the last minute. Um, basically my house burned down and uh, so there was a fair bit of chaos ensuing afterwards so some of the communications were a little uh, confusing and so I very much thank people for sticking with us and also a number of you sent very nice thoughtful messages and I want to know that they meant a lot to me and I appreciate that. So without further ado let's get into the agenda. We're going to talk briefly about what a value proposition is. I think m most people intuitively understand uh, something about value propositions, but we're going to talk about it today specifically in the context of partners and make sure that we're all talking the same language. Then we'll talk about why your partners need their own value proposition, why the customer or product value proposition your organization may have just won't cut it for your partners. Then a little bit about a framework for building good partner value propositions, then some real-life examples of good and bad ones, and as Laura mentioned, we'll leave plenty of time at the end for Q&A. So, as I mentioned, value proposition basics. So, what is a value proposition from a partner's perspective? This is how we define it. It's a simple, clear statement of the value delivered by one organization to its partner that when combined with the partner's capabilities will provide the basis for solid business performance. So what a value proposition is not, it's not a slogan, it's not a list of product features and benefits, which is uh, where we all naturally gravitate to, I think. It's not glowing adjectives about your company, the oldest, the leading, the highest quality, 
and it's not a statement of unsupported claims. So what is a value proposition? What it is is a clear statement of why the two organizations, yours and your partner, are great fits. It's compelling evidence that makes your partner want to learn more and an explanation of how both partners will be better off together. And it's crafted from the partner standpoint of what's in it for the partner. So why do partners need their own value proposition? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, it comes down to branding control. When you're crafting a value proposition for your customer, you control the branding. But when you are relying on your partner for market extension, some of the branding control, and in some cases, depending on the, the partnership relationship, like a joint venture partner or a distributor, you're delegating a large chunk of the brand control to your, your partner. The second aspect that in, in which it's different is that with customers, it tends to be more transactional. Uh, yes, some of them are long-term. Uh, you have a long-term relationship with. The partnership relationship is usually fundamentally different. You're building something together over time that is greater than the two of you individually could accomplish. Um, Mike, any other thoughts about this one? No, it's just, uh, you know, I, I know we probably have a lot of experienced people here on the, the product side where their product value propositions have been preeminent. Uh, I think the key here is, as you'll see in examples that we're going to bring up uh, towards the end of this uh, webinar, is, uh, you know, crafting something that really does resonate and reinforces the uh, uh, the value that you bring to the partner. So that's the right focus. So there are lots of benefits of doing a partner value proposition and I have to say a lot of companies don't take the time to really focus on a good partner value proposition. But to do a good value proposition you need to find out what it is that your partner, your target partner values and you need to understand how you're positioned in the market for vis-a-vis -vis alternatives. So that process provides you with some very valuable competitive intel intelligence. It, it enables consistent messaging, which allows a couple of things. One is, is that your partner hears the same thing consistently across the whole process of engaging with you from recruiting all the way through to, uh, to ongoing management. And that process also helps with internal alignment. One of the things we hear a lot from customers or clients and potential clients is that it is often very challenging for organizations to get their internal resources aligned to support partners well. And the value proposition really helps with that messaging and making sure people stay on point and and focused on supporting the partners. It ensures best fit partners because if you've crafted your partner value proposition well, partners will look at you, the right ones will look at you and say, hmm, I need to learn more. Let's talk to these people. And conversely, which is not a bad thing, partners that aren't good fits will say, eh, I'm not really sure this is really where we want to be and they'll self-select out, which is, is good from a recruiting standpoint. It also 
as part of the marketing message helps you stay top of mind with partners, we hear a lot from organizations. One of the biggest challenges is to keep partners focused on, on you, and this helps, them, helps you stay top of mind with them. And the result of all of this is you're going to have more effective partners, you're going to have better execution with your partnership arrangements, and you'll see better financial returns. Mike, anything to add to this? No, I like that. The effective element here, uh, I think, is you know, the concentration. We've got a great model for you that was done by Moby or Sonny. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But it does cover all of these components of uh, what you actually get out of taking the time to craft it. It does take a little bit of effort, but it's well worth it. All right. Well, one footnote to add. I noticed that in our attendee list, we have a lot of folks who are not channel manager types of people. So uh, although our company focuses a lot on indirect sales partners, I, I just want to note that for those of you who are in other functions like product management, human resources, finance, the framework we'll talk about and the examples will be absolutely applicable not only to distributors and indirect channel partners, but also to you know key suppliers, key service providers, JV partners, even your internal partners. So the framework is equally valid no matter what kind of partner you're talking about. All right, so before we get started with this, I believe it's time for our first polling question. Laura, can you take it away? All righty. Okay, so the first poll is, how important are partners in your company's overall business strategy? So everyone, if you could just take a moment to weigh in, just select uh, one of the following. For those of you who are just calling in and are not able to see the screen, the choices here are absolutely critical, pretty important somewhat important, not so important, but we plan to add some, add more soon, and not sure or other. So I'm going to just wait another few seconds. It looks like um, people are still weighing in. And a couple more seconds, and I'm going to go ahead and close the poll. And I will share the results with everybody. It looks like 67% uh, answered absolutely critical. Um, are, the in part, are the partners in the overall business strategy? 33% say pretty important. And actually we have 0% um, on the other three somewhat important or not so important, important or not sure. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and hide the results and uh, give the presentation back to you, Doris. I'm gonna turn it over to Mike. Okay, for those of you that have been with us before, you know that we've been covering critical elements of developing a world-class channel program. And we started out uh, in our discussions on these webinars we talking about the necessary skills. Uh, the other boxes will show up here shortly. Good data analytics. This is the big push that we're on today. Uh, so much is uh, talked about with things like predictive analytics and so forth, and we're really driving uh, the edge here in, in uh, on, on the channel side saying, you know, we really do need that critical data and how to use it well to improve uh, channel performance. A willingness to invest, especially uh, in the training side of the, uh, of the business, but also in the technology side. Developing clear strategies uh, 
uh, that resonate with uh, both uh, your internal uh, audience but also with the partners. Uh, then value proposition is what we're talking about today, obviously. And we're connecting all of these dots together so it formulates a, uh, a methodology uh, that you can work to to improve your uh, channel performance. And the next dot that we're going to do in September is partnering mindset. Uh, Doris, why don't you tell them how, how we came on this partnering mindset issue and what we've done. Sure. <clears throat> so about three months ago, we agreed to merge with a company called Partnering Intelligence. We, Mike and I have both been very focused in our entire team really on enhanced partnering skills. And we loved the Partnering Intelligence framework because it sets up a, a, a validated framework, which is important because the results have actually been validated from a psychosymmetric testing perspective. There are, in fact, <clears throat> skills, <clears throat> pardon me, there are skills that can be quantified that will help companies become better partners. So even though there there aren't much there's not much training out there there are not many courses there are quantifiable and identifiable skills that make people successful at partnering and having partner relationships and they are learnable so uh, just a quick plug um, we'll be sending out communication um, with some of the some of the skills and some of the aspects of this but as Mike mentioned, it is the subject of our next webinar, and we really encourage you, those of you who say partnering is critical for you, this is, this is a don't miss webinar. Uh, we'll be talking more about this framework and how you can apply it to your partners and make them more successful. Okay, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about the framework. Okay, here's the, the core element of the model. A little brief discussion of how we got to this. Uh, some years ago, I was working uh, as a consultant for Nortel Systems uh, uh, on that same team, although doing a different uh, section of the uh, consulting work was uh, Professor Mobir Sani, who is the IT marketing chair at Kellogg uh, Graduate School. Uh, I was really impressed with what he put together as a, a model because it was so flexible that you could use it uh, no matter whether it's with an internal uh, partner or an external partner. It was a very flexible model and, and gave a, a really nice framework. I call it a wireframe. Right? The, the object of this model all right, is to help you define very specific points that the uh, target of your value proposition, they're, they're going to ask these questions whether or not you address them. Uh, so when I get into the model, you'll see that he's created a, kind of an equation of how, how you discern those things. Um, in, in doing our, our uh, training, uh, I've worked with this model with, with all 60,000 of the, the people that attend my seminars in one way or another. Um, the, the, the interesting thing is it's, it's a real challenge. They're, they're not as easy as you think if you really don't define uh, the key components of what you want to communicate. So he started off with a definition, which you can see right here, most of you have read it. Uh, the potential benefits that a supplier will offer to a target partner, that's pretty clear, that will outweigh, and I love this phrase, the total partner sacrifice. We don't often think of it, but when we engage with a partner, when we're recruiting them and onboarding them, 
uh, in a way, you've heard me talk about this before if you've been on other webinars, all right, we're disrupting factor to their normal course of business. They've got to learn uh, how we uh, operate. Uh, they have to learn new policies and procedures. They have to learn uh, the products themselves, how to market effectively, and so forth. So you're taking time out of their normal course of business, their normal revenue uh, generating activities, all right, to do something with you. So that sacrifices there. And then if, if you're the type of uh, supplier that uh, requires inventory by the partner, uh, there's obviously the, the investment that you have to do there. While being differentiated, all right, from available alternatives, and they do have alternatives. So you could, uh, as Doris will discuss a little bit later on, even the status quo, is a choice that they might have that is making no decision. Uh, but it's the word differentiated I want to get to in a little while because uh, I want to kind of clarify what we mean by being differentiated. Um, and available uh, alternatives and supported by reasons to believe. That's proof. All right. If you're going to make a claim about what we can do for the, uh, the partner or, frankly, end users or whatever, uh, we want to support that with the strongest evidence that we've got. All right. So uh, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, this model is very flexible. All right. You, you, can, you can use it for uh, customers. You can use it for your product offering. Uh, we even done it for clients recently for our market segments where they wanted to focus on the value to a particular vertical marketplace uh, or by type of, of, of partner. Not all partners are equal. Um, some of them are referral partners, some of them are distributors, some of them are value-added resellers. Uh, but you could even use it on, on internal cross-functional uh, areas if you need to uh, support your department's value to uh, uh, some other area of your company. Uh, we do concentrate on indirect uh, uh, sales, but again, it's it's very flexible. So here's his model, all right, and it, it goes over six elements. And what I liked about the research that he did on this before he developed the model was he he was able to go in and validate that these are the six questions that everybody's going to ask about any relationship, all right. And that is, what's the promise that's being made? What what are the core benefits? All right. Why is what you're offering better than the alternative, or what is your differentiation? And then the support, which is obviously um, the the proof necessary to <clears throat> to solidify your claims. To target partners, all right. That is whoever they are. We even have companies out there today that that have a slightly different version of their value proposition for different kinds of partners, so that they're talking always the unique position for each business model that they're, they're doing business with. Um, each of those business partner types has a different view of how they bring value to the marketplace and we ought to be able to talk their language. Then obviously everybody wants to know what the cost or slash price is. What is this going to cost me not only in money but also if you take a look at the two elements below, these are rarely addressed. And they're still going to ask the questions whether you address them or not. How much time is this going to take? What kind of effort is it? Uh, how much time do I have to vote? Well, one of our clients, Raintree Systems, uh, has a very complex part um, uh, product, and, and it takes nine months really to become proficient at being able uh, to deploy their their software model. Uh, it, it, is it really worth it? Well, yeah. Uh, when you take a look at the revenue streams that come from a fully educated uh, partner, uh, the partner is induced to you know get into uh, six and seven figure uh, 
revenue streams with this if they have the working tools to make it happen. Now, risk area is all kinds of different things that they might think of in terms of disruption or uh, is the product really going to be stable or will they have out of stocks? What kind of risks might I find? When we when you talk about the right-hand side of this equation, what we're really concentrating on is not admitting all the you know uh, problems that we have, uh, but it's actually mitigating those so that we reduce the concerns of of our partner and make it easy for them to make a partnering decision. All right, so that's what it is. So the the object of this exercise is obviously get the left hand side, all the positive things that we want to say about ourselves, to outweigh any concerns or uh, elements of uh, uh, significant interest that uh, are maybe detractors to the decision we want the partner to make. All right, it is a simple and really effective tool to create the elements you're going to talk about. Now, this does not write your value proposition. It isolates some of the things that you want to address. And then you have tremendous latitude, as you'll see from some of our examples, in terms of how you might you know, put up uh, your value proposition on your website, how you might explain it to the, uh, uh, to the partners as we move forward. To assist you with that, Doris has created a lovely little tool here for you. Uh, to help you organize that and actually goes down and we've detailed some of the kinds of questions that you may want to ask about each of the six components, all right? That's going to be available to you uh, in the uh, post-course email that we send to you. Uh, so you'll have this, you'll be able to work on it, you can set it up so your teams can collaborate uh, and uh, it should make it easier and more streamlined for you to do the work it's going to take to come up with a really, really strong value proposition. So I think at this point, uh, Laura, we've got, a, we've got another polling question, don't we? All right. I'm ready to launch the next poll. And here it is. How effective are your partner value propositions? Choose one of the following. Uh, not effective. We never really thought about it before. Uh, fair. We have ideas, but they may need improvement. Third choice, excellent. They are well-researched and well-communicated. And the fourth, not sure other. So uh, you guys know the drill now, so please take just a second or two more to go ahead and make your selection, and then I can close the poll and share the results. But I'm going to hold on another second or two because it looks like people are still voting. Okay, I am closing it now, and I will share the results with you all. Okay, interesting. So, how effective are your partner value propositions? 57% say we never really thought about it before. 29% uh, say fair. We have ideas, but they may need improvement. Zero, zero on the call say excellent. So, it's good that we've got uh, this, this program going. And 14% uh, say not sure. So, uh, thanks for weighing in, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and send you back to the presentation. Okay, uh, interesting. Uh, all of you seem to have a, a, a position on that um, model. Uh, it, you know, I, I do want to reemphasize. Okay, that this does take a little work to get right. And uh, you know, one of the ways that we validate uh, value propositions is actually to take them to current uh, uh, partners or even those that we're recruiting, and 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 just start a dialogue with them and say, does this actually resonate with you? I think one of the important things to note here is we, we don't want to produce something that's weak. 
All right. So think about it this way. What's the biggest claim you can make about your program? That is what you deliver to a partner in terms of value that you can actually prove. All right. When we analyze these, and it's easy to do, you, you, can, you can go on online and go to websites and take a look at how they position their program and so forth. What you see a lot is they just over-communicate it. Uh, it's not very sharp. Uh, it's sometimes the 40 you know, bullets that uh, uh, make us uh, unique. By the time they get down to past the fifth or sixth one, they're right, they've lost interest. Or, or the claim is weak and, and uh, un uncompelling. All right? Uh, way too generic. Uh, the claim is unsupported. We don't have any data or metrics. All right, to do that, that can be a really hard one to, to, to do. So we do a lot of work in terms of you know, helping companies configure you know, how they can actually measure that value or what the impact of their program does uh, in creating productivity for the partner. Or it's really complex and we've got to find a way to streamline it because it's really not easily understood. Okay. So, all right, what does differentiation really mean? Uh, I'm going to talk about it just a half a second here, all right? Uh, the root word, of course, is different. Uh, we do analyze value propositions all the time where, yeah, they, pr they produce uh, elements of their program that are, that are different. Uh, but different isn't good enough, all right? It has to be a difference that the partner actually really cares about. So if we're listing up things that you know, make us marginally different than somebody else, but it isn't really hitting the, uh, the, the core interest of the partner. We want to reconfigure that value proposition all right, so we can focus on the real value you're going to deliver. And you have to really analyze your program elements all right, and find out if you've got the kinds of tools and capabilities that your partners are looking for. <coughs> so you, you do this by usually some kind of research. Right? You're doing surveys with your current partners. You're looking for uh, uh, available information, touch points that seem to resonate with your vertical marketplaces or with the end users you're going after. Uh, you can see testimonials, as you'll see from some of our examples, uh, where even your, your partners can come in and offer proof elements and items that uh, will reinforce the value proposition. All right? uh, and some companies actually go out and, and spend quite a uh, bit of money all right, doing primary market research just to make sure they can get this correct. Okay, to support that uh, and to give you a little bit more methodology, all right, HBR, uh, uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, had a great article that we're going to make available to you by uh, uh, either the email or on our website that you can, uh, you can then download. Uh, it, it's a really good, tight explanation of actually how to construct these. And very briefly, what it does is it separates out those companies that try to data dump for all benefits. All right? They try to talk about everything that's unique, uh, which is a little burdensome to the, uh, uh, the partner to get through. Some of them have refined it and go to what we call favorable points, all right, where they're only emphasizing the positive and so forth. And that's, that's better than data dumping uh, on the partner. Uh, but what he comes up with, the uh, author comes up with is, uh, uh, a really key way of identifying resonating focus issues, all right? And that's what we'd like to get to. Why? Because we're all over-communicated. Uh, we get, what, dozens or hundreds of emails uh, every day. We've got, uh, uh, you know, internal information coming at us. We have external information of the customers coming at us. Uh, we're all hugely busy as well. 
So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite difficult to separate out. Also to help you out, and you can get this on our website, uh, just going uh, and uh, looking for the uh, value components uh, uh, document, which is a Word document. Uh, a few years ago, um, we did a survey of about 450 partners across all kinds of uh, uh, marketplaces. And what we wanted to know is, okay, what are the dominant components of a partner program uh, or an attractive supplier are you looking for? And they identified, uh, this is a fairly open survey, they identified uh, about 19 different components that they all look for. So what we did is we started to take a look and drill down uh, on them a little bit and find out, and try to put them in a hierarchy of what was most important or most often mentioned and what was least often mentioned. Uh, we came up with, with five that really sort of dominated because they were mentioned a lot. Uh, and the first one is uh, the profit or, or decent margins. It's very interesting to us in, in the way they responded to that because they didn't say the highest margins, they said reasonable margins. They realized that they've got to make their entire portfolio work for them. So there'll be some products in their portfolio which you know, offer uh, less margins than others, but altogether they've got to make sure that uh, all of their products are making some type of positive contribution. They also wanted a reasonable opportunity for sales volume. They, they wanted um, products that would actually count uh, in terms of the overall revenue streams. Right? A big one that came up, which was really interesting to me because it, it didn't deal w with the, the, the revenue side, it, it dealt with policies and procedures. Um, partners like uh, suppliers there basically are, are easy to deal with. Um, now, some of you, if you're on the chemical side or the medical instrument side of the, uh, the business, you got a lot of regulatory in there that drive your policies and procedures. Those can be complex for partners to navigate. Uh, remember, if they've got 10 other suppliers, they've got 10 other policies and procedure packages to master. Uh, even things like order entry and uh, returns and things of that nature can be confusing uh, if, if we don't have a clear set of policies. Then they focused on communication, all right? Matter of fact, the, the biggest, uh, we, we kind of went back and did a little extra research on this, and the, the biggest complaint they had was uh, suppliers that didn't communicate effectively with them or frequently enough, or only when they wanted to push uh, um, a, a product or you know, go into a, uh, an issue of uh, you know, driving more sales through some sort of uh, uh, promotional program. And the final thing, and I think this is really revealing, uh, and it, it, it was the fifth, but it was uh, substantially supported by the research that we did, they really do want joint marketing uh, to go on. They, they want you to participate in market planning. Uh, they, they do want to do uh, the business plan with you to clarify you know, what kind of objectives they think they can hit, what kind of support they can get. So those, those are sort of the big five. But when you go to the website and download uh, this, it'll, it'll have all 19 uh, of them listed with a little bit deeper explanation of each one and, and what it means. So, Doris, run us through why, why this is uh, compelling. Well, you know, especially, I think, the point that you, you make when we, uh, we looked at this, that uh, you know, making no decision is sometimes something that they're you know, quite apt to do. Well, you're, you're absolutely right, and I think we've experienced this in dealing with 
uh, and having conversations with potential clients. Our competition, and I'm sure this will resonate with some of you on the webinar, is typically not other people who are our quote-unquote competitors. It generally is clients who choose to do nothing. Uh, in fact, a recent study showed that up to 60% of qualified leads across industries essentially resulted in no decision. Um, and so that, I think, is a, a factor of a couple things. I think it's the that people looking at doing this, even when you're trying to make changes, I think you'll inherently feel this, that people are overwhelmed. They're over-communicated, they have too much to do. And so there's a risk of taking on something new um, because change is hard, it takes effort. Um, so whether you're talking about your own situation with making a change in an IT vendor or uh, taking on a consulting project, it takes extra work. Uh, and there's risk that it may not be the best payoff for your investment. Um, and frankly, there's, there's the fact that in today's environment, more and more decision makers are involved. So, you know, you may have one buyer or one person within a partnering organization who's on board and is fairly well along in the process, but suddenly there are other people who are involved in the decision-making process and they may not be on board at all yet. Um, and so in today's environment, so competitive, you definitely, uh, your the partners you want to do business with have other options and uh, this, this, you do need to address dealing with the status quo and uh, and the, the, the momentum of, you know, trying to change that momentum. As Mike mentioned, your partners will focus, that your potential partners will focus on the potential downsides of taking you on as a partner, whether you address them or not. And uh, Mike and I were, were talking offline, and it, this is a little like the job interview, right? You got a gap in your resume, you know that the interviewer is probably thinking about this, and you can either sit there and wait for them to ask the question, or maybe they won't even ask the question, and then you don't know what's in their mind and how they're thinking about it, or you can choose to take it head on, which is what we recommend, so that you can control the narrative. You can address how it's going to be framed, and you can frame it in the context of how you'll mitigate those challenges for a potential partner so that it positions you with a competitive advantage. All right, Mike, I know one of the challenges is that many companies have different kinds of partners, um, both as indirect sales channel partners, but even beyond that to different kinds of partners. Can you talk just a minute about some of the challenge of, uh, of multiple partner value propositions? Yeah, most of the business that we, we do business, the clients we do business with have uh, multi-channel uh, approaches to the marketplace. Uh, that is, they use different types of partners to get to different uh, audiences in the uh, in the market. Uh, and we've, we've had to do a lot of work in, in making sure, that especially the channel managers, you know, really understand the business models that they're dealing with here. 
Uh, so we do conduct a, a lot of investigation on the difference between a wholesale distributor who's basically a box uh, turner right, and a full service distributor who brings a lot more to the, the, the table. They think differently about the marketplace. And so what we attempt to do is where necessary, we want to be able to modify uh, or at least on the verbal exchanges between the channel manager and the company they're recruiting uh, to make sure you know, that they put things in the business terms that best reflect how uh, the partner is going to go to marketplace. So we make a distinction between you know, the value-added reseller, manufacturers, reps, uh, the more complex partners like systems integrators, uh, less complex partners like uh, uh, referral partners. E each of them are going to look at the relationship a little bit differently and we, we want to at least in the personal engagement side be able to address that. Now many uh, of our clients actually do uh, have uh, business value properties which they isolate all right, and construct and uh, put on their website uh, for what they do for different partner types. Okay. So we thought as a part of the webinar here, what we do is at least put up uh, uh, a couple simple examples for you. Uh, Some place you can go to review. Mike, I think yeah. that we've got a, our third polling question. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, thanks. Yeah, no worries. Let's weigh in with the audience and uh, ask our third polling question. What is the biggest challenge you face in developing effective partner propositions? So take a moment and select one of the following, not enough time to think about it properly, not enough resources to find or develop the necessary data, our management teams don't really see the need, the partnerships are already working well enough, and not sure. So please take a moment to vote. And I see that people are still voting, so I'm going to keep it open for another few seconds. Anybody else want to weigh in here? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close the poll and share our results here with you. The biggest challenge uh, we face in developing effective partner propositions, uh, pretty even spread between three, 33% say not enough time to think about it properly, 33% say not enough resources to find and develop the necessary data, and then 33% are just not sure. Nobody weighed in on um, our management team doesn't see the need or that the partnerships are already working really well. Okay, so there we have it. I will go ahead and turn it back over to you, Mike. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. Uh, good catch, thank you. I didn't mean to blow past that one. Um, yeah, wow, that's a, that's interesting result of that uh, that poll. Uh, it's not surprising though. I mean, all of us are pushed to the limit in terms of uh, time allocation uh, today. Uh, I will emphasize though that it is more than worthwhile doing if we want to increase the uh, productive potential of, of our of our partners. It's also something that you're going to be able to reinforce on an ongoing basis so that you achieve top of mind with them, and they're constantly reminded of why they're. Uh, they're uh, representing you as a supplier in the first place. So we went in and pulled up an example uh, of what we thought was a, a pretty good one. As a matter of fact, it was a little unique in terms of the way that was put together. And the company is Infusionsoft, uh, CRM-based uh, uh, company, and also marketing automation. Uh, and what they do is is pretty pretty interesting and unique. Now you can go to their 
website and just click on uh, the partners area and it will bring up this landing page. Uh, but here they, they do a, a, a lot of things that are in our estimation done right. Uh, first of all, it's, it's uh, uh, very crisply written, right? They come out with a nice headline that talks about the partner growing their business, all right? Uh, and doing it faster, which is a, it's a really good interest point because they're not talking about themselves, they're talking about you know, how their program is going to impact the partner. They also recognize the different partner types, all right? So they ask, what kind of business are you? That helps them adapt their uh, model to the various interests of the key uh, types of partners they're going after, all right? And that's where we, we talk about doing different uh, value proposition models for different uh, types of partners. But then they do a nice element, and it does pretty much uh, almost follow the Sony model um, you know, directly. Uh, they come down and start immediately talking about the benefits of the program. Now, in their research, they isolated three things that they uh, were able to confirm was uh, really important to the uh, partners, and that is obviously the revenue side, the ability to scale the business, all right, to, to grow it over time, and obviously the big concern on making sure there's dedicated support and, and training. Uh, that they were going to get so they would be uh, effectively representing. The next thing that they did is they put up a very simple model of what the business transaction looks like. Uh, you can just sort of scroll up to that if you will. All right, and it's simple, easy to explain, and it is supported in other areas within the, uh, uh, the website. And then, um, as we suggested, right, they go right into starting to put some metrics to it. Um, 135 installed users, uh, they're in 120 uh, countries, so they're, they're global capability to deliver over 1,500 partners and apps and integrations that uh, uh, they, they've uh, got working for them right now, all right? And then a very clever technique that they used, they went right to the partners and said, okay, what do our partners have to say? Now, you, you notice one thing about this approach from the beginning. So far, it is literally all about the partners and the benefits they're going to get. And then they use some of their uh, key partners all right, to reinforce and offer the proof. Uh, and they break it down again so they have enough partners of each type all right, that they can talk uniquely with these little videos to the concerns uh, of each partner type. I mean, really well done and cleverly done as uh, well. The other benefit is that not only does it uh, reinforce the support or the proof statement, but it moves to the right-hand side and allows each of the partners to discuss how easy it was to go through the training programs, how little risk there was involved in deploying the product, and so forth. So it goes over to the right-hand side of Sony's uh, uh, equation and begins to uh, provide substantive information in terms of you know, how that's accomplished. All right. We wanted to show you one. I was, I was going to put up a negative example here, but you know, frankly, that was too easy. Uh, what I have is what essentially isn't, isn't a bad approach. It's just not uh, evolved enough. And that's, that's Hewlett Packard. Now, obviously, you know, they've uh, got more resources than uh, most of us do. Uh, they can do pretty much anything that, uh, that they want. But basically, here's an example of sort of under-communication. It's, it's too efficient. There's not enough detail in terms of what the benefits are uh, on the landing page when you get into it. So there's a, a fear that if they've gone there to sort of uh, uh, seek information before they discuss with you, uh, they're, they're only getting a little bit of information. Then another thing that they do here that's a little bit concerning to me is if you click on any one of these three 
videos, all right, and you, you want to get more depth, then they've, they've got what they call a squeeze page, and they're going to be asking you to register. Well, that's another opportunity if we're, you know, time constrained uh, for the partner to move off the page or uh, try to find some other more efficient way of getting information without committing themselves into your partner recruiting by giving up their email address and so forth. All right, so while this isn't a bad approach, all right, it is a little bit HP-centric. As you'll see, one of the big videos they have is one of their own uh, officers who are, you know, is going to come pitch the strength of the program. But even in the headline, it says HP operates to a very simple formula of the strength of the channel equals the health of HP. Well, not a good, not a bad statement. All right, it's still focused on, on HP. Uh, which, in having talked to some of their products, uh, there's a tendency to do with their program as well. All right, so you can go to these two and take a take a look at how you might strengthen based on the information that we've given you today. All right, and see if you can't use uh, a little bit of that exploration uh, to bring into your team when you're looking to strengthen your own value proposition. Yeah, Mike. Just to add to that, I thought one of the big differences is that at the bottom. The, um, the claims that are made here, sales, speed, and simplicity, they're actually, uh, whereas on the Infusion site, there's clickable uh, information, HP doesn't provide any. So I thought that was pr pretty interesting. They're basically yeah. unsupported claims. Yeah, it's a real balance in providing way too much information and not enough. All right? And in this case, we're not getting a strong enough appeals that they're willing to go in and click and explore. All right, so just in closing, it's important to review your value propositions regularly. Just as with your customer value propositions, you need to think about updating and relooking at your partnership value propositions. In today's environment, partnerships evolve. You change uh, new management, new products, new focus. Uh, your partners also are constantly changing. And uh, the marketplace just is changing so rapidly. So you really do need to review these from time to time to make sure they stay current and, and continue to resonate. All right, so in closing, I just want to uh, say before we get to the Q&A that um, to plug once again our next webinar, which will be on partnering skills about partnering intelligence framework. Uh, all of the registrants, and uh, Laura's got the registration link if any of you are interested, uh, you'll be able to access a, 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 a verifiable partnering skill evaluation um, framework and receive a free personalized report if you sign up for the webinar. And, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll be talking about some of the results that come out of these and um, what you should be able to do and how you can take those and, and, and make valuable insights on how to improve your partnering skills. All right, so with that, Laura, can you lead us in our Q&A that we promised? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have about 11 minutes before we need to close out and we are getting um, some great questions coming in. So. I'm going to go ahead and, and get to that. For those of you who do still have questions, don't hesitate to just start sending them in to our questions panel, um, or you can reach out directly to Doris or Mike um, or through uh, the, the info at globalocityservices.com following the webinar if 
questions come up because we do want you to continue uh, the dialogue with us and, and uh, we're here to help. So, okay, without further ado, I have a question that has come in from Gabriel. Thank you for participating. Uh, his question is, uh, when looking to enter a new market through distribution partners, say Canadian business looking to do business in the U.S., but not familiar with who the right partner is, what is the approach? And then there's a second part to that. Um, do you build a value proposition without knowing who your partners are and test them? So if you need me to ask part one again or part two, let me know. Mike, I'm going to let you take that one. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, obviously, um, there was, and I are involved a lot of international um, market migrations so where companies are either going into Europe or European companies are coming into the US, in this case Canada to the US. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very basic and in, you know, but it's, you, you have to do it. All right? You have to analyze. Uh, I think the easiest way to think about the, the research that you need to do is what kind of partner has access to the kind of decision maker uh, that we want to get to. Okay. So you, you, you look at that and you go into the, the partner types. They're, they're pretty easy to, to research from a website data and so forth. Um, but you, you want to ask the question, are, are these people going to be calling uh, on the correct decision-making level uh, that appeals to our, our product? Or, or are they going to be primarily calling on just purchasing people? Or if you're a more technical product, uh, who do they have to get to? Because you're, you're going to want to validate that each of these partners has has access. Uh, the second part of the question was really interesting in that can you formulate a value proposition if you don't know who your partners are going to be? Um, I probably wouldn't advise it. Uh, you could take a stab at it to have something out there to say. There are some um, generic elements that uh, uh, you want to talk about, but it's much better if we go in, even if it's a small uh, sampling, you know, 10, 12, 15, uh, uh, partners and, and you, you call them not the, for the purposes of recruiting, but just to try to understand you know what they might be looking for uh, within a, a, a supplier. Any amount of touch point data that you get from those kind of interactions are certainly going to help you uh, uh, determine whether a value-added reseller or a uh, distributor or um, a systems integrator is going to be the right kind of partner for you. You also want to validate that your product or your your ultimate product to end user, all right, is going to be important enough to fit into their portfolio. Anything else you'd like to add, Doris? No, I, I think that I think that covers it. It's as you say, it's important to have in mind the kind of partner you want to target before you spend a lot of time with your your value proposition, which is essentially how you're going to recruit those partners. So yeah. um, I, I agree with I you. Might, I, I might add, by the way, that you know, going into some marketplaces is a little more challenging. So we find we have to do extra research when we're going into Asian marketplaces. Uh, we, we get significantly more cultural differences there and in the Middle East and so forth, and those things have to be taken into consideration as well. Okay, great. Uh, I have another question coming in here from Ellen. She's starting out with a statement. Uh, my time and bandwidth are extremely limited. I think a lot of us can um, fall into that category as well. And she asks, how do I make the case to my management to invest in developing 
better partner value propositions. Yeah, Doris and I were talking about this the, the other day. I mean, we, we've got clients in similar situations. They're, they don't have the resource or their time availability um, is not optimal. Uh, it's, a, it's a real challenge. We, we prefer you to be able to do it as a, you know, an internal project that you can use other team members to kind of spread out the, uh, the workload of what has to be done to be able to you know, put a good program structure to, uh, to, together. However, we do recognize that with smaller organizations and those that are really pressed to the wall in terms of uh, time limitations, you may have to do it in discrete chunks. All right? So we're just going to break down the entire model all right, and do it a piece at a time over time. Now that's not optimal because you don't get a, a, a full partner model together uh, all at one time, but, but it's better than not doing it all. We want to end up with something eventually that's going to be really functional. These programs, there's a huge difference if you go out there and you've been in this business for a while between uh, really world uh, class programs and, and just sort of average run-of-the-mill programs that uh, are, are underperforming because they're just not structured correctly. Uh, so that is, that is a challenge. Uh, we prefer you to do it in, in one go, uh, but if you can't do it, break it down piecemeal and see if you can't distribute uh, to some of your colleagues. Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, it's it. Given our years of experience and what we've seen really works with with customers, our clients who have um, channel indirect sales channel programs, it's ironic to us that so many companies spend a lot of time recruiting new partners, but don't have in place some of the building blocks like the. Um, like the value proposition or recruiting package or um, effective onboarding and training, really the, all the effort you spent si signing up partners uh, and then trying to manage them is not optimal unless you have these building blocks in place because you're going to recruit a lot of partners who are not really fit for purpose, you'll spend a lot of time managing them, trying to get them to pay attention to you, only to find out that they really aren't all that interested in you, and you've wasted a lot of, a lot of your time. So, um, you know, we're not telling you about these building blocks just because we, we want to pitch our services to you. I, I, we sincerely have have seen this for from our years of experience that those building blocks really pay off with financial results over time. Yeah, I think the last webinar, by the way, when we did one of the polling questions, uh, uh, there was a really high percentage uh, that didn't have key element like a like a, uh, a really well structured and standardized onboarding process. So it was kind of left up to every channel manager to do it on their own, and, and that can be really confusing to a partner if you don't have a really defined way to make sure all right, that they're going to get to you know, high productivity during the earliest stages of the relationship. Okay, uh, thank you. So I, I do have like four, four more questions coming in and we are getting really close on time. So um, I'm going to throw another one out here and then maybe just read the other ones that you can respond to um, privately by email because um, a lot of people are interested in this conversation. So here we go. This one's about data gathering. Uh, what are some ways to cost effectively gather data for my partner value proposition? 
Well, I think Mike addressed those in one of the slides, which is you can survey your existing partners or even potential partners. That will give you tons of useful market uh, information about what they value. And if you have current partners, surveying them also uh, really helps that you get great feedback from them on what they really think and, and how you're doing. You'll, you'll gather a ton of insights and your partners will really appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, to ask them questions. Um, you may find that people are over-surveyed, so sending out a survey form may or may not get great information, but even if you just schedule time to chat with them through uh, you know, through a standard list of questions, you're going to get a ton of great feedback for free. Um, and as Mike mentioned too, a lot of companies are sitting on a ton of great data, but maybe bits and pieces of it sit in different data systems or different parts of your uh, different programs, and you may have to spend a little time pulling that together. Mike, any other thoughts on that one? Yeah, one of the techniques we use at Glossosity is when we do this a standard part of developing a program, uh, is really go out and take a look at competition. What's your, what's your competition trying to communicate? Uh, how much overlap is there between various competitors and how they're trying to appeal uh, to the marketplace? So if you're going into a brand new channel or a brand new marketplace uh, and very, have very little data available to you, you might take a look at how they're attempting it to address it. But you really ultimately want to get down to your own uh, perceptions and, and unique discussions uh, uh, with potential targets or with the existing partners you have to you know, get get those elements uh, very much more clarified in your own mind, which ones you want to really focus down on. Okay. Uh, since we are really uh, at the end here, I'm just going to uh, let you know what other people were asking about. Um, are some of the effective ways to demonstrate the return on investment of better partner value proposition propositions? Are there some effective ways? And then another one was, um, how do I tell how many different partner value propositions I need or should have? And then um, the last one that I have here is uh, talking about empathy, uh, which I thought was really good because I, I, for one, have been seeing a lot of articles and business blogs lately using this word empathy. And uh, she, she says, I think some of our issues with partners may be due to the fact that we're not thinking enough about things from the partner's perspective. And she's interested in knowing how to get help, um, how, to get, how do I help get my organization to have a more effective partnering mindset. So uh, things to think about, and we will respond to those um, privately by email. Uh, I want to personally thank both uh, Doris and Mike for sharing your time and expertise with us here today. Um, we, I for one learned a lot. And then I also want to thank all of you for joining us. Um, we hope that you will be able to join us again at, in September for the webinar to have better partners be a better partner and uh, we can continue the dialogue there. For more, for more information about that, you can register on our website globalocityservices.com or you can follow the link that I posted there in the chat box. So um, thank you to all of you uh, for joining us today. Have a great one. Thanks so much. Thanks.